All right, everybody. Welcome back to another edition of the Teardown, the season finale version of the Teardown. My name is Jeff Gluck. I'm along with my coworker, as usual, Jordan Bianchi. And uh, we are Motorsports Writers for The Athletic. And we have reached the end of our 2023 podcasting. Uh, what a season it's been. Uh, record numbers, thanks to all of you. We're so thrilled that uh, you guys have been tuning in. And we want to wrap this up for this year by doing a listener mailbag. We did this last year as well. And uh, it was, I think, our most listened to episode. So um, this is your turn. You guys have submitted all sorts of questions. Uh, over 70 questions, Jordan, um, that we have to sort through here. Yeah, we, we don't have time to answer all those. That would be like a six-hour podcast probably. But Nobody wants to listen to us talk for six hours. I don't know, Jordan. It's a long off-season. Like, we could probably cut this into a few episodes. But vacation <laughs> and time off uh, is is coming right up here. So we will wrap this up with this one. Uh, we Sorry to those of you, first of all, that we couldn't get to all your questions um, very thoughtful questions. Everybody asked some, some great ones. Maybe we'll save some for a future mailbag or something, but, um, we've picked some, you know, just that we felt like answering or <laughs> I don't know. We, we didn't really have a ton of rhyme and reason, but we just kind of, oh, like, oh, this sounds good. Oh, I like yeah. this one. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I think I have a good answer for this one. Yeah. So let's get right into it. Jordan. Well, first of all, how, how have you been? I don't think we've caught up since, uh, you were in Nashville. You had a great interview with Steve Phelps. Uh, that was really, I, I thought you said, I'm going to interview Steve Phelps. I thought, uh, I mean, <laughs> what's he going to say that he hasn't said already? I mean, I mean, no offense, Jordan, yeah. but no offense but to your interviewing skills, but no, but that, that's the secret. I mean, I, that that's the goal going into the interview is to figure out questions that he hasn't been asked or at least in a different way necessarily. And, you know, he, he Steve does his state of the sport address at Phoenix. And so he's going to get a lot of, big picture, broad questions. So we've, you know, that was just a few weeks ago. So there's no point in going into that interview, asking him the same thing that he's just been asked because not a lot has changed. The only thing that really had changed since then was the finalization of the TV contract. So the goal in there is to try to ask things differently. And, you know, like what, what are Steve's thoughts on the season and kind of focus in and hone on to that and then go from there. So that you 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 liked it. I got a lot of great feedback from other folks as well. Your opinion, of course, matters honestly more than anybody's. Um, it's true. You know this. I tell you this all the time. Um, you complimenting me means a lot, and so it was good. It was great. He was fun. He showed some personality. Um, it was it, that was the goal of the interview, and I thought it was a good look, a peek behind the curtain of what it's like being Steve Phelps and just what the stresses and the demands of the job are because it's it, it is a lot i don't know if we always appreciate it or really understand the full scope of it well obviously a, the big topic because this was the day after they announced the tv yep. deal and so we'll kick that off with the listener mailbag here a question from dan m by the way dan m submitted 12 questions uh you know his own version of the 12 questions and they were they were all great i put a ton They're of them great. on this list, but we, you know, we, I didn't want to ask more than two from any one person because I just thought, well, that's not really fair to all these people. But I mean, we, we could have done Dan M's questions for the entire yeah. thing. So, uh, thanks Dan M for, for that. But his question here that we wanted to start off with was, uh, is the newly announced 2025 TV contract a boon for the sport or short-term cashing in on a high, higher dollar amount that ultimately hurts long-term reach and exposure? 
is this the last TV rights increase that NASCAR will see? Now, of course, if you haven't been paying attention for some reason, um, you know, there's going to be a big streaming portion on Amazon only. And then uh, there's going to be four, four TV partners, not just two and not just three. Um, so, you know, I, I mean, Jordan, you, you wrote about it. Uh, you wrote it. What, what's your take? You, you were there and, and heard all of it. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's hard to know long-term what this is going to be because I will go back when the, the, the previous contract was signed in 2015. Remember that? That was a record amount of money. And at the time it seemed like consensus. That was a great deal. NASCAR was getting a bunch of money. They're moving into cable, which was at the time was, was the thing to be on. And you had a partner in NBC Sports who was, who's got this new sports network, same with Fox Sports, and that NASCAR was going to be the backbone for their growth. And it made sense. And it did make sense until the end. And then as things develop, because you don't know how these things are going to go, towards the end of the deal, you're like, whoa, cable isn't what cable once was. We don't have a streaming component to this. So the, the short answer is you don't know long term. You, you just don't know. I mean, get back to me in six years and I'll be able to tell you. But looking at it from this perspective now, I think it's a win um, in a really tough market. They got a 40% increase over what their previous number was. That's not easy to do. Um, there is the streaming component, which NASCAR was sorely missing. Um, that's a huge thing. And, and talking to team owners on the record and off the record, um, they're encouraged by it. Um, they, you know, There's a little bit of skepticism among some of them, but largely, for the most part, they're encouraged by it. And I think that's what they like to see. And it's enough of an increase from the conversation I've had where they feel like they're going to be able to get enough of a piece of the pie when it comes to the charter agreements that's going to help them go forward and be more solid. So that's my perspective on this. So, I mean, you, you started by saying that the last TV deal, you know, worked out until the end. I, I would argue it's still working out um, very well because even in a downturn, quite a sharp downturn in ratings yeah. um, and all that stuff and, and overall interest in NASCAR, the money that they cashed in on has sustained the entire industry. Yeah, and can I just say something? It got them through the COVID. I mean, honestly, that 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 got them through the pandemic. So you're you're right there, absolutely. And even now, I mean, you you I mean, I understand where you're coming from in terms of like, well, I mean, NBCSN, which they signed up for, doesn't even exist anymore. Um, you know, you're having to scramble for all these, you know, oh, let's do USA now, and you know, it's not it's not what what they intended it to be. Um, but the money is what. Yeah. Is, yeah. is still there. And, yeah. and, and yeah. I think the lesson they learned there was, look, I mean, <clears throat> we could do the best we can to try to get reach and you could talk about all you want about, oh, it's going to be on network or not on network or, hey, we didn't get ESPN or, or whatever it is, right? Like, and those are all valid right. points in terms of reaching a big audience. And, um, you know, <clears throat> if you're going to have broad appeal, it's hard to say, well, we're going to put it on a streaming service or whatever, where nobody's going to see it. Now, Amazon, people are going to see it, you would think. But the bottom line is, I think for them to get any sort of increase in this market was a win. To get as much as they did, even with inflation, yep. was a big win. Yep. <clears throat> and now they have this security. They have multiple avenues to go in. So that, yes, they have, y you've got network, a network component. Yes, it's not as much as what it was, but it's there. You've got the streaming component for the next deal. Let's see what Amazon could do with that. Amazon just announced huge TV ratings for their most recent NFL game. There's a commitment from Amazon too, which is impressive. And that feels like that's someone you want to latch your wagon to because their commitment to, and I don't mean to interrupt, and I apologize, 
But can I just throw another thing about the Amazon here as I'm thinking about this and the conversation I've had? You don't know what Amazon's intentions are down the road. Like they very really could buy a network. You know, they could buy a cable partner and then all of a sudden they just go from streaming to be a cable partner. That's not unrealistic from the conversation I've had. And if they do that, all of a sudden NASCAR is going to be one of those properties they're looking at saying, hey, we're going to put you on this as well. So it's it's a good it's a good way to to, to partner with them now is a really good thing because you don't know what their intentions are because they've got they've got aspirations. I just feel like if you if you take a big step back on this and you say, you know, two years ago when these negotiations were sort of kicking off, what what's going to happen here? Uh, is NASCAR going to have to take a huge reduction in the amount of money they're getting? And boy, is that going to hurt the sport and all this stuff to sit here today and go, they got a big increase. They got some high profile partners. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think you, you can, you can take a lot of nitpick with a lot of things with NASCAR, but them getting this deal, <clears throat> excuse me. This is a win. No, this is a win. Like it's hard. the money at the end of the day is the big thing that at, at, at everything else getting a 40% increase in this market with everything that's come up in recent years in terms of sports rights and everything that is coming up because the NBA is still out there and they're going through it right now, like to get a 40% increase is significant and it's nothing to sneeze at. And at the end of the day, everything else is just kind of is what it is. The 40% is nothing to sneeze at. Yeah, no, I agree. Sorry about my, (laughs) my voice has been the, uh, the Thursday of Phoenix, Jordan, I started getting like a little froggy throat. Oh, I know. And <clears throat> since then, it's now over five weeks later. I'm still clearing this out. It's crazy. Are we like be worried or like it's like so I start writing an obituary or no, it's it's slowly getting better, like one percent every day, but it's just been such a pain to deal with. I think Ugh. I went we went from Phoenix back to Denver, Denver okay. to Las Vegas for six days. Yeah. That didn't help. Back here, I just <laughs> went to Mexico for a week. Uh, which was the opposite climate, you know, like all this humidity yeah. and all this stuff. And now I'm back in Denver and my, I just, anyway, sorry. It's it's hard to be Jeff. Like going to Denver, Phoenix, you know, Las Vegas, Mexico, like you're just a jet setter, man. The, I don't know how the, the F1 people do it with like the very various climates and all the travel, but anyway. With all with you, with how particular you are about your sleep schedule too. I don't know if you could do it. Uh, question number two, Tyler from Kansas city. I know there has been recent swings that NASCAR has taken to try to grow or regrow grow the sport uh, with the next gen car, Chicago street race, a dirt race, but I would like to hear from you guys and see if you think there are any things they are doing that are detrimental to their growth right now. Are there any choices they have made in recent years there that are hurting them now or could be a long-term problem? What do you think, Jordan? And there's nothing that jumps out to me, the decisions they've made recently. I like the schedule changes. Um, I understand why. I like the car. I mean, they, they address the safety component. Um, they're trying to get reining in the cost and everything. I mean, to me, it comes back to the racing at the end of the day. Like, you've got to make sure you have a good – you have to make sure you have a good product on the racetrack. And the intermediate races have been fantastic. But how, what do we talk about a lot? The short track package. And if we're at – you know, my answer to the question would be you've got to figure out the short track package because – when you've got a marquee race like Bristol, for example, and I would even throw Martinsville at the end of the year that sets up your championship four or, and Phoenix, which is on a mile racetrack, like you've got to make sure those races, if you're going to promote those races as events and as can't miss, you've got to make sure you have a product on the racetrack that delivers um, accordingly. So that to me is where I, my, I guess my concern, if you will, about looking at this, 
We know NASCAR is trying to work on this, but it's just like when it comes to this stuff, I feel like can we just we'll, we'll figure out a damn solution, right? Like it's easy to say, but like I feel like we've been talking about this for a while now, and it feels like we're just kind of like slowly getting there. And it's like just free, figure it out. Just you got a lot of smart people in the sport. Just get right in a freaking room and figure it out. You know, the question is in recent years, you know, any decisions, I can't really identify things from recent years. I feel like they're still dealing with problems that are from decisions that were set up long ago when they tried to chase sort of this fan that they were hoping would come this NFL casual fan. Um, and that sort of changed the tone of the whole sport. Uh, to implement the chase to implement then when the chase didn't work to implement the elimination playoffs. And has that worked? I mean, arguably the, the ratings don't say so. So I, I'm not sure about that, you know, moving races from traditional dates where you know, they, Hey, they take one from Darlington, move it to Fontana and then they move it back to Darlington or they move it to Atlanta, then back to Darlington. And they say, Oh yeah, but by the way, this was a great, this is a great tradition. Why did we mess with this in the first place? Um, the one thing that I think is detrimental to the growth now, but I don't think, especially with this new TV deal that'll ever change is letting TV have so much of a voice with your Phelps interview. You, he talked about how he, there was a reference in there to, Hey, you know, Marcus Smith, SMI, they didn't love the, the, the idea of doing Bristol dirt. That wasn't their idea. We brought it to them because Fox wanted to do it. And they said, okay, fine, we'll do it. You know, after a lot of conversation, it sounded, is, is that fair? Am I paraphrasing yeah, that correctly? Fair. But we, yeah, I mean, that's fair. And then we knew this was a Fox idea. I mean, it, we knew this was, well, this I mean, to hear it like that from the NASCAR president, hey, they didn't love it, right? That's what he's saying. They didn't love it, but they yep. did it. NASC, you know, the, the playoffs, NBC has heavily inf- influenced the playoffs. And when you look at NBC's comments in continuing to broadcast with this new TV going forward, they're excited about, the playoffs, how they are. So, you know, we're, we're going to be showing the playoffs and the championship race for years to come. Okay. That's what they're saying as they sign this, write this huge check. So what does that tell you? That tells you it's never going away. It's never changing. As long as the current TV partner is there, they want that. Okay. So when you think TV wants this TV wants, what else they want commercials. So when we sit here and go, man, this, this is, you know, look at F1 races. They, they don't have any commercials or they have shorter races or they have fewer races. All these TV networks just signed up for the races, how they are now, the schedule, how it is now, the amount of commercials, how it is now, the playoffs, how it is now. I could argue that those things might be detrimental in a way or, or hurting growth, but those are things that everybody just re-upped for and signed up for. And those are not recent years decisions. Those are something that has been the, the groundwork's been laid long ago. So there's to me at this point, after seeing this TV deal, there's no use even it's a great talking point. about it. I mean, yeah, you're right. You're, you're right. That you're, you're hundred percent right. That's a great perspective of like what NASCAR is kind of now it's not going to change. Like there's not going to be fewer races because they're locked in now for the next seven years. You know, the play- NBC love the playoffs. They love the drama. They love the unpredictability of it. Um, if anything, you're probably going to see and Phelps touched on this when he talked to reporters in Nashville after the TV deal was done is like tentpole events like Chicago, for example, 
that's you're going to see more of those kind of things because they want to make sure that each network, especially in the summer months, has a tentpole event. For example, the Coca-Cola 600 is going to be on uh, is a- Amazon gets the first crack at it. Right. And so that's going to be that's going to kick off their coverage. They're going to get one of the crown jewel races to kick off the races. Then you look at it. Well, as it is now, Chicago would be the first race on the Bleacher Report TNT part of it. And like if that goes away in a couple of years, which it may or may not, you know that NASCAR is going to have an uh, they're going to have be focused on where else can we go on 4th of July weekend and have a big signature race for our partner to kick things off. So the, what NASCAR is now is probably what it's going to be seven, eight years from now. But it goes back to what we answered the first part. When you get a 40% increase, you, you, you're you beholden to your TV partners and what they want. And that's the reality of it. Yeah. I mean, that's, it takes away a lot of, uh, to me, it takes away a lot of debate over yeah. all, you know, all, the, all these questions right. on Sirius and all this stuff. Oh, you know, less commercials or change the format or whatever. My answer going forward is going to be, sorry, TV yeah, wants this. Right. So what can you're you do? You're 100% right. It's a great perspective. You nailed it. Uh, Denny M, not Denny H, uh, by the way. Great if we got a question from Denny. <laughs> this is Denny M. I'm 40. I've followed NASCAR for as long as I can remember. The playoff format provides some fun drama, I guess, he says, but it reduces the prestige of the championship. So this is my question. He lays out which season would you rather have? So here are the choices, and then I'll read them again. Season number one, 10 wins, regular season champion, adversity in the round of eight, Missed the championship four. Season two, five wins, make the championship four, but don't win the championship. Option three, you point your way into the playoffs, point your way into the round of eight, which means no wins to that point in the season. You get a win in the round of eight and you win the championship race, which is so you got two wins and three trophies. So again, you've got 10 wins, regular season champion, missed the championship four, five wins, championship four, but no championship. Or point your way in, never win all season until the round of eight and the championship race, and you win the championship. So you go first. Which season would you rather? Okay, I would. I think I would rather have season number one, ten wins, and the regular season championship, because when you're looking at it as a whole, you're like, man, ten wins. That's huge. Six races. Uh, well, he said 10 wins over, he didn't yeah, say 10 yeah, wins in the regular season, the but, um, yeah, you would think most of them are toward the beginning of the season since there's, he says adversity in the round of eight. So, um, yeah, I mean, a 10 win season is something that doesn't come along very often. The last two to do it were Kyle Larson and then Jimmy Johnson in like Oh seven or something. So I think you could you could look yourself in the mirror after that and say, well, yeah, we didn't make the championship, but we had a heck of a year. You know, hey, we just had some bad luck or, or whatever happened at the end there. We didn't make it, but we had a heck of a year. Um, option two is pretty good, too. I mean, you know, five wins, you make the championship four, but don't win the championship. You could say, hey, we had a pretty good year. Point your way in the playoffs, so you're going to be happy uh, because you you won the championship, but you're going to be like, man, we kind of we stole one at the end there. Uh, but we did it. <clears throat> so I still feel like I'd go with number one. That's going to be more beneficial to making the hall of fame and 10 wins is a lot of wins. 
So that's a dominant season. What would you say, Jordan? I, I'm kind of in your camp. I look at it and say, basically, you're having a Kevin Harvick type season in 2020, right? Because that's that's basically what this is. He won 10 races and he did nine, make- nine. He won, I thought he won 10 here. But no, he yeah, almost, right. he was well, going to win won, 10. You're right, yeah. he won 10. He won nine, you're right. Um, you have that kind of season. You have a Kyle Larson-esque season. Like, that is going to be remembered for a long, long time. It's historic. It doesn't happen often. Um, and really, if you can, the how your rest of your career plays out, it's that's going to be the marquee centerpiece when you go to the Hall of Fame. Of like, hey, in this year, they won double-digit races, only one of X number of drivers to do it. That's that's historic. Um, so I, I, that would be my answer. Number two, though, if you can do that on a yearly basis, on a regular, you know, semi, you know, regular basis, win four, five, six races, and, and regularly make the championship four, like you quickly add up, and all of a sudden you look at the end of your career, you're like, damn, that's it. that's a pretty good year. I mean, that's kind of the Denny Hamlin model, right? That's what Denny Hamlin's career has been: is like win three to six races every year, make the championship four in the regular, and when it's all said and done, you're like. That's a really, really great career. Now you're missing the championship. That that's always going to come back. But we talked about it. I think we're both in the same agreement. Like the the championship, you have to value championships differently in this format. And I do think down the road, regular season championships are going to matter a lot. I think people are going to look at that and be like, "Oh, he he's got three or four regular season championships." That's that's going to be a number that jumps out to people. I really do believe that as we get this format goes down the road years and years. You're like, wow, that, that does matter. That means something. Interesting. I never thought of that, but I could see that. I mean, I've never, we've never been hall of fame voters, obviously, but yeah. Can you see that in 10 years coming up in the hall of fame room where you go? And this guy also yeah. had X regular season championships and you go, Oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, 26 races. He was dominant. Over, he was, he was, he was great over 26 races. That that's going to say something. Interesting. So Eric Hamman says, I've been a fan my whole life. I'm 35, and I'm wondering if you and Jordan, if you were a NASCAR king for a day, what are two or three things you would change in the format? So obviously, the things we just said about the TV deal being locked in, if we were king for a day, we don't have to worry about that. So (laughs) what would you say, Jordan? Um, I want to know if I get a crown if I'm king for the day. That's really the important thing. Because I I would wear the rock. You can do whatever you want because you're the king. So yeah. 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 I want a crown and a robe. Um, Three things jump out to me. Uh, I do think more track time is important. Um, I don't necessarily want to go back to the model pre-COVID when you had, you know, three 50-minute sessions. Um, you know, you started Friday, and, and it was it, that was a lot. That was probably excessive, plus qualifying. So you had four on-track sessions. But I do think the current model of, you know, a short little practice session and then go right into qualifying, it just doesn't feel enough. And I think I, I would like to see more on-track time. I don't know if that has to be on Friday necessarily. Maybe it does. I think there's a conversation to be had there, but I want to see the car. I want to see the Cup Series cars on the track more to make it feel more. There's more buildup. There's more storylines. Um, you know, we talked last year about the Daytona 500, and it was like boom, Daytona 500 qualifying, no on track time, no, you know, none of that. Um, I, I would just like to see that. I think sometimes, especially in the summer times, it's like it's good to have these these sessions on the track because it gives you additional things to talk about. You know, someone can have a problem on the racetrack. Someone can be slow and it can help you kind of sell what's going to happen on Sunday. So more on track time. Um, I also want to see less tracks have two dates. Um, and that gives you an opportunity to expand to different markets, add a variety of different tracks. Um, obviously there's certain tracks, Bristol, Martinsville, Daytona, Talladega, 
Um, those type of tracks, I don't. I would even throw Charlotte in there. I, those those places get two races. Uh, that they are important markets. They're important races type of tracks. But for the most part, you know, the Phoenixes, the Kansases of the world, the Las Vegases of the world. One stop, man. One race. You know, when you roll into Las Vegas, it's NASCAR's one time a year in Las Vegas. It's a big deal. Fans are going to gravitate towards that. I really believe that. And the third one, a spending cap. Uh, we talk a lot about saving money and economics of the sport, and it's really hard to institute. And I know there's been conversations over the years about whether it could happen and whether, you know, this kind of thing. But, you know, let's put a spending cap in place like Formula One kind of has. And it, we're really committed to saving teams money and, and shrinking um, that gap between the big teams and the small teams. The spending cap seems like a way to do it. It's hard to do. It's hard to police. But if I'm the king for the day, I'm going to figure out a way to do it. Um, I like those ideas. I think, man, <clears throat> excuse me. <clears throat> Sorry. I'm worried about, you know, it's a good, it has some whiskey, man, like some hot tea, like some green tea and whiskey that will cure that right up. A little hot, a little honey in there, a lemon. Sorry. I think That's I'm my good. Secret. All right. So I like your ideas. I just think, um, you know, again, this is, this is king for the day in a, in a complete fantasy world here. Right. Um, I would definitely change, you know, the, the commercials thing I think is, is huge. I think is a massive detriment, um, to, to fans tuning in, uh, when it's constantly interrupted by commercials, um, that, that would be gone. I mean, just figure out a, a different way to do it again. I'm King. I don't have to worry about the money. I don't have to worry about the TV feelings. So that's number one. I would also get rid of the elimination playoffs and I would bring back, the 10 race chase. I like the idea of when and you're in, I think that makes the regular season good. And I like the idea of playoff points because that keeps people all summer when Jimmy Johnson used to take the summer off essentially and yeah. test or whatever that keeps people. Hey, let's try to get more playoff points. But then you take those playoff points. You have your 10 races. And I think obviously look, I, I get why they did that. Why it didn't work back then because you had, people building their own cars, a Hendrick or a Gibbs, it was very dominant. You could have somebody completely run away with it. I would like to see how a 10 race chase would work with the next gen where it's already by nature so much closer. And you have, um, you, you don't know when you're getting to the track. We didn't even know going to Phoenix this year who really had the edge. We, we were thought, Oh, you know, maybe Blaney could pop up here, but also Hendrick, but also Gibbs, you know, three different manufacturer, you know, nobody's sure going into that championship race, who exactly is going to nail it. Right. Um, and I think that that, that would be reflected across the 10 races, whatever you picked. Um, and it doesn't guarantee that the best, you know, driver is going to win it. There still could be some stuff. I mean, you look at Truex, he still would have finished 11th in points, you know, based on his regular season. So it's not like it's an automatic, but you, you have the playoff points there and you set yourself up well. Um, and then you race it out for 10, 10 weeks. I think that would be very interesting. And, and, at least to try it. Um, you know, maybe it's not such an exciting final four some years or, you know, or it's not final four, but championship race to the finale. But I think it would, I think it would still be in doubt coming down to it. Um, and I, I would like to see that change. I would also like to see them try, um, because track position matters so much. Now I would like to see some sort of heat race format at certain events. Um, you know, maybe, maybe the, 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 the tracks that have two or whatever, um, you say, Hey, we're going to do heat race and then a, a 200 mile feature, 
So you still get the same window of broadcast time, but um, you know there's a chance to qualify and then race it out in some heats. Um, and kind of like Bristol tr- Dirt. Okay. Anyway, I'm not wrong. Um, sure. So yeah, those are those are the things I would change. I you're I agree with your first and second your first and third points. I would like to see heat races. The thing with heat races for me though is. I want to make sure they get points in those. I want to see some consequences. Like, right. I mean, obviously you want all the teams to advance to the the, the, the main event. That's fine, but have some stakes, have some points in those heat races. Number two, I get what you're saying. I don't fundamentally disagree. What I'm concerned about though, is I want to make sure my championship race has drama and there is a concern and it happened in the 10 race. We saw it with Jimmy Johnson many years. You get to that 10th race, the playoffs, and it was like all Jimmy Johnson had to do was finish 10th and the championship was his. Like, you know, I don't want. So that. he deserved it. I mean, so I'm not, what? I'm not, I'm not, no, I'm not, and it's, I'm not getting, I, I'm not saying he didn't deserve it. I, that That's not it. But this is also a TV product. This is an entertainment thing. And we want to make sure we have drama and sell. And having a guy go into the championship race, have it essentially locked up. And all he's got to do is finish 10th. Is that, is that going to get people excited? I don't know. Maybe it will. I don't know. And I will say the eliminations is the byproduct of that is I like the fact that there are weeks like in elimination races where guys show up and they've got to win and they're desperate and they're hungry. And sometimes that creates moments where it's good for us. It's good for the business. It's good for the sport. And to have that the guy team and a driver show up and be like, no, we've got to win. And then have that manifest on the race itself, whether uh, they do something crazy or you know whatever, or they rise up and they win. Like that's good. I I, I do think that's good for the sport. But I, I hear what you're saying though. I, I think it would be interesting to see in the next in this in this next gen era what a ten race one through ten playoff would look like. Lendon Little wants to know. We often see videos of drivers speaking to a crowd of media members he's talking about like for instance front stretch posts a lot of times they'll post the entire media session from one of these scrums that we do in in what we call the bullpen um and so a lot of people will sit there and they'll watch the whole interview like the whole media session that from from a driver or whatever right so he's asking how do you all determine the order in which you ask your questions without speaking over other media members you all seem so cordial with each other is there an unspoken rule that you all know to follow uh, with each other? Like, for instance, maybe senior members get the rights to the first question, or is it first come, first serve? Do you want to go first, or you want me to start here? Why don't you go first? Okay. Um, there's no, there's no rule. Um, it has changed a lot over the years with these. Um, I would say the reason you might hear someone like Bob or Jordan or myself or Dustin Long ask questions first. Uh, a lot of times is I think some of the younger writers who are newer or might be doing, you know, video stuff or trying to get their footing. They're not as, they don't necessarily want to open up the questions. There's, there's sometimes you get to these things and, and some, a driver walks up and there's some sort of hesitation. People, maybe people think their question is not worthy of being asked first or it's something more minor and they want to save it toward the end, which is something I'll do a lot. Like if I'm working on a feature that is not necessarily like about the news of the day, like, Hey, what do you guys think about this rule change? that just came out. I'll save it toward the end or try to, 
the tricky part about it, that is that <clears throat> their PR person might suddenly say, all right, we're done or one more question and then you, you miss. So you have to play a little bit carefully there. Um, I think <clears throat> Lendon is probably, and other people probably see those you see in movies where there's a horde of media and they're all yelling over each other. Hey, Mr. President, Mr. President, you know, whatever. Right. Um, that's really not how it works just because people like if somebody starts talking and you hear somebody else start at the same time, I mean, you could, you could try to force your way forward if you've already missed out on a couple times and, and keep talking. But if I hear, you know, if, if Lee Spencer starts talking at the same time I do, I'm going to be like, all right, well, I'll just let her ask her question. I'll get, I'll try to get next. Sometimes it's frustrating if you miss out a few times in a row, but you don't want to be just rude and talking over people. Um, so, and I think people know that they've heard you start to question a couple of times. They know like the driver even will say something like, he'll look, kind of like look, at, look you at you next. and there's an acknowledgement of, yeah. Right. Like, okay, I'm ready for your question now. Cause I heard you were trying to ask one. So there's really no, you know, um, the etiquette is just, you know, don't be rude, I think. But um, there's no sort of order. There's no pre-discussion of, all right, you ask this and I'm going to ask this. Now, I, I was going to say the one thing that's changed a lot, lot, lot over the years is back in the day when you had tons of newspapers there. If a reporter asked a question that you, you sort of got an interesting answer on, the other ears would perk up from the journalists who are like really veteran reporters. And they'd say, ooh, this is good. And they would follow up on that person's question. And then the next person would follow up and, and everybody would kind of look at each other like, all right, we've got Jeff Gordon rolling here on this topic. Let's not screw this up guys. You know what I mean? Let's not have a question now where, okay, on a totally different note, you know, what do you think of this paint scheme? Like, no, oh my gosh, you just ruined the flow that we had going. You know what I mean? Like, but that doesn't really happen as much anymore. Cause I feel like the, there's just not as much cohesion in the media now. And so you don't have that sort of like acknowledgement of, whoa, whoa, this guy's rolling on this topic here. Don't cut this off. Keep it going. Find another way to ask this in a different way. So those are my thoughts. Yeah, I mean, you're right. Um, it, it really kind of varies too. It depends on what I'm working on. Um, you know, I think we here at The Athletic, I think we kind of do things a little bit differently um, in terms of our, our coverage and how we report things and the stories we work on, right? And so there's often, through the course of the season, there's a lot of things that come up that not something we're necessarily going to be writing about. Not that we're interested in it, and we want to know what they say, but like timing lines on pit road or, you know, the the restart zone box. Like that's not something I frankly ask a lot of questions about because that's just not my what I write about and what I cover, right? I want to hear what they say. So when issues like that pop up, like when there's like, you know, hey, about restarts, things like that, I know there are going to be a lot of questions about that. And I'll let that happen. I'll kind of let those questions happen to begin with. And then at the end, I will I'll let those questions play out after like six or seven. And then if I kind of your point, like I don't want to get them off kilter, but I do have to get my question. I'll wait for them to kind of flush it out and then I'll come in at the end and ask my question. So that that's that's that is one strategy I have, depending on what I'm working on. Another strategy is, and I don't know how comfortable I'm giving away like everything I do or how I do this, but it's not a secret. Like there's sometimes I I want I'll ask questions I don't necessarily want other reporters to hear the answers to. Yeah, you don't like, want it on the front stretch video that everybody's gonna. I see. don't want it on videos. I yeah. don't want that blasted. Out. I want people to read it on the athletic because I want 
I want that's it's my question. It's a good story. It's a good whatever. Come to the athletic and read it. Don't give it away on social media for free, right? And so there are many times, many times where I'll linger, I'll wait, and I'll come in at the last question or two, and I know when time is running out, and I'll get it in, or I'll wait for everyone else to go do something else. Um, that's a strategy of mine. Um, I, I'm very known for waiting people out. Um, um, I will say too, like I'm not afraid to ask tough questions. You're not afraid to ask tough questions. There's a handful of us in the industry, uh, Bob, the Jennas, the Dustins. We're not afraid to ask tough questions, and I think that's sometimes why, when there's somebody, when there's something major going on, I think that's probably why you hear us at the forefront is because we know that this question needs to be asked, and we're not afraid to, you know, we're not afraid to ask it. And there, to your point, like if you're a young kid or a young reporter coming in and you're not comfortable, like there's, there's a little bit of that. It's hard to sometimes ask those questions because you may put yourself in a bad spot. I mean, you, you don't want to get, I remember what that feeling. I mean, you don't want to get yelled at, Sure, but like, I, mean, I don't care about getting yelled at. Like I don't, yeah, like, we're to I, the point in our careers where it's like Kyle right, Busch is going to yell at you. Okay. Like, <laughs> right. Like, I just got yelled at by Tony Stewart a few weeks ago. Like, don't care. Like I get it. And I totally respect Tony. And I know why he was upset by it, but that's, but I got a job to do and that's fine. And that's all good. No hard feelings. We move on. Um, so there, there, there's part of that too. Um, I will say I try to be defer, deferential to you and Jenna and Bob and Dustin when it comes to questions. Like if we're all asking a question and like you ask a question simultaneously, I will always back off. Like I will be like, go ahead, Bob, go ahead, Dustin. You know what I mean? I just, it's a respect thing. Like you guys have been around a long time. I respect the hell out of you guys. Um, I'm going to let you go. And I also know like, I'm going to get my question in. It doesn't matter whether I go first or second or, you know, whatever, like let them, it's a respect thing. You guys deserve it. You guys have been doing this for a long time. Um, I will say when it comes to press conferences, my strategy has shifted a little bit, you know, which uh, press conferences, press- the difference for people to know we're talking press conferences are when they're on stage with a microphone yeah. as opposed to these scrums where they're standing around where people are have all their recorders in their face or whatever and you're called on and there's usually a moderator yeah. that calls on you um my you know there was a time like there was a prestige factor like oh i want that first question to so and so right like and there's something to be said for that or the, the perception maybe was hey you get that first question in this big press conference and i get that and i there's something to be said but I, now though i almost kind of like to lay back a little bit because you know like they're gonna get asked you know like if a steve phelps is gonna do a press conference and at the end of the year, in the state of the sport, he's going to get a certain number of questions about, you know what he's going to get asked. Like, I can tell you. There's something to be said, though, for laying back and letting him ask, you know, answer the question and then seeing what he's going to say and then maybe coming at it at a different angle or he opened the door to something, you know, that kind of thing, and, and then going at it from that. So that is sometimes my strategy when it comes to a press conference is letting it play out, not all the time, but letting it play out and and seeing if where this is going to go. And maybe he didn't say something or maybe he said something interesting and then following up on that. I mean, to me, press conferences are largely, I, I largely don't like them. Um, and I don't think they are particularly useful because think about if, if you're listening to this, all right, think about you are on stage with a microphone in your hand. Everybody in the media center is listening to what you're mm-hmm. saying. And you know, there's a camera right there. It's going out live on NASCAR.com. And also, you know, it's probably going to be, if you say anything, you know, interesting or controversial, it's going to be immediately clipped for social. It's going to go on NASCAR's channels, all that stuff, right? So you have that scenario versus you're standing around in a scrum 
where three or four people are standing there. Um, and they're just sort of, you know, you're sort of, it feels more casual. You're, you're going to be, you're going to be answering questions differently. Even if you're a professional athlete, you're going to be answering them differently in that, in, in sort of a, a small group setting versus sitting on a stage with a microphone in your hand. So I feel like you get stiff, much stiffer answers from the, and it, it's almost like a performance art in some ways where, you know, they know that people are listening and all that stuff where again, like, I think you can almost get people with their guard down a little bit more in the smaller sessions. So I'm not really going to burn my questions a lot of time for that, because again, before I can even write it, NASCAR is going to clip it. And if it's funny or, or interesting or whatever, and it's going to be all over social. So like, yeah, I just, I feel like I just did somebody else's work for them, but I didn't, what did I get out of it? You know? Yeah. So I possibly gave away a story I was working on. I don't know. So, um, yeah, that's, that's my, we, we, we went long on that one, but I, I could talk about that one for a long time. So, um, okay. Number, uh, John Cloudman, uh, having seen the end of the year outcome for both, both Chase Elliott and Alex Bowman, do either of you want to change your positions on waivers for missing races? That was one of your most entertaining and passionate debates of the year. That was when I threw my hat after Las Vegas. He says he agreed, uh, with parts of both the arguments. Um, you know, we talked a lot about extracurricular activities. My, I mean, my thought, I'll just go first here. I, I feel like Jordan, I feel like this actually, I actually won this argument because of what happened this year. Because think about it. Okay. You, you were arguing they should not get waivers for the extracurricular activity activities. They did extracurricular. Um, they didn't make, neither of them made the playoffs. So it, the problem took care of itself. They, they, they had such a challenge coming back. They had to win. Neither of them came close that close to pointing their way in. They had to win. They didn't win. So it took care of itself. No problem. So continue to do the waivers. I think if anybody changes their, uh, their argument on this, it should be you, Jordan. I feel like you're trolling me. I really feel I'm like not. No, I, I, I feel like I, I won this. I, I feel like, no, because, I mean, if Elliot doesn't get suspended his opportunity to make the playoffs on points is much better than it would have been like him miss him finishing. I think he finished last or thereabouts in the 600. So you take the points there. And then the week he missed that gateway and suspension, like you take that out and he races those races out. He could have probably made the playoffs on points. So your argument that it, it, you know, it worked out naturally. No, it didn't. Like it took another set of circumstances in this case, him getting suspended for a race to miss the playoffs. Um, I, I'm sorry. Like, you should not get away. Like, you got to get a waiver for suspension? Fine. I get that. Like, that's fine. You want to you suspend a driver, and you don't want his season to be completely over for one mistake? That's fine. But when you go snowboarding or when you go race sprint cars or whatever else, you decide to take a risk on yourself, you, you don't get a waiver to excuse you from your responsibilities. And – no, I, I I don't change my stance. If I'm a team owner, I'm still looking at this, going, "Sorry, this is not this is not acceptable to me." Joe Gibbs this year said that to Christopher Bell, and like, I don't want you racing. I don't want you racing sprint cars. Your your focus, your onus, what we're paying you for is here on the Cup side, and we are not going to take that risk of you being sidelined for any length of time and completely potentially derailing our season and our championship hopes. Fair enough. 
Alex Bowman has said after he returned from injury, guess what? I'm not going to be racing sprint cars anymore while I'm doing NASCAR. Now, that could change, but his opinion now is it, it it's not worth it. I, I, I put myself in a bad situation. I put my team in a bad situation. So the fact that Alex Bowman is come around to my side and sees that it's not worth it underscores the fact that I was right. I, I, I disagree. Um, I, I think you're missing the point that it took care of itself here. It, it, it didn't take care of itself. The suspension took care of it to resolve the problem. It wasn't him. No, it, he didn't miss by else. just one race of points. It, it's not just one race. It was basically two races. And Well, he was racing it, in that one. He was, but he finished. But if he doesn't wreck any Hamlin intentionally. <laughs> but that was he, part of the race. <laughs> I mean, you know, But he would have finished better in the 600, okay. and then he would have gotten points. You can do the math. I have. Like, he would have been, he would have been a lot better off. And then... As you race throughout the summer, his position right. would have been a lot. We're better. not going to come to. I was hoping you would change your mind, but we're well, not going to no. come to agreement. So it's not. It's just. It's pointless to debate somebody who's not going to change their mind here. I mean, it's fine. It's fine. Good. Congrats. I mean, yeah. All right, uh, Peter. <laughs> you can be on the right side, or you can be on your side. It's whatever you want to do. Peter Dahlberg says, what do you think about NASCAR using the following ideas from F1? A podium with a cooldown room, tires with multiple compounds, no commercials. What we talked about the no commercials thing, that'd be great. Um, the tires with multiple compounds, I think that'd be love really it. cool. I'd love that. I love it. Uh, I love it. They, they tried in the All-Star a few years ago. and It, didn't, it, wasn't, it didn't it go wasn't, far enough, though. It yeah. No. But yeah, if they could have real, real differences in the compounds that I mean, that would be really cool. Like, hey, you know, you got to come you in late. Have to, a tire. Yeah. Like a tire that like you got five laps on this thing. Right. Maybe 10. Like, and you know, it's like, it's going to be a once. It's going to be a certain, maybe at the end of a stage. Like, like you know, like we got three laps left in the stage and then we're going to pit. We're going to go all in or at the end of a race situation. Hell yeah. I want to see that. Like that would be so good. And then the podium with the cooldown room. This is, this is something that would be so, so, so great. It just in the cooldown room itself. Now this is. For for those of you who are a little bit newer to NASCAR, they used to bring in the second and the third place finisher after every race. One of my all-time favorite press conferences that I've ever been at was at Michigan way back in the day. I was working for NASCAR scene, I think, at the time, maybe. Um, and Brian Vickers and Kyle Busch battled each other late in an Xfinity race, and it cost them both. And I think Brad Keselowski won instead. Um, and... Kyle Busch and Vickers had to come into this press conference and sit next to each other. And they, it's on you. I think it's on uh, YouTube somewhere. Um, It was so freaking awkward. And that's where the term Kyle Busch show came from because Kyle Busch said something. And then I think Vickers goes, Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't know this was the Kyle Busch show or something like that. And it was, they were, they did not look at each other. They did not acknowledge each other, but they were just completely talking about each other um, during the press. It was so awkward, but it was so great. And, Yes, the cooldown room. I mean, there's so many times in NASCAR, especially where I feel like in in, in F1, they're fairly cordial because they're like, ah, you know, the Max won, and so we're we weren't going to win anyway, so we're not that mad about second and third or whatever. But in NASCAR, like the difference between the winner and second or the second and third or something, I mean, there could be a lot of tension and bad blood there, and to have to let us be able to eavesdrop on that, oh my gosh, that'd be fantastic. What do you? This is amazing. This is gold mine of content right there. Um, so, or at least to bring them in the media center together again, uh, I think would, would create some great moments at times, but anyway, uh, 
It's probably not going to happen, but it'll be fun. Love it. I'm all for drama. I'm all for awkward situations. I'm all for storylines being advanced. I think it, it's good for us. It's good for NASCAR. So yeah, I'm all for it. Anything you can do to to create storylines and stuff, I'm I'm largely going to be for. Nathan from Washington, share with the listeners the time someone in NASCAR, whether driver, team member, NASCAR employee, was the most upset with you, and what the circumstances were. Do you do you have an answer for this one? Because I I probably could use some well, more thought mean, on this, but I got a lot of them. Yeah, I know. I have I mean, so many. I, I'm not sure I mean, one stands I, out as. I mean, there's. I mean, the one that always comes to mind is the Harvick one on national TV. Yeah, he was pretty Bristol upset from yeah. two years ago, where you texted me and. I I like, I texted you like, Hey, Harvick and Elliot are having another conversation in the garage. And you're like, yeah, I know I'm watching it. (laughs) Rick Allen is narrating it right now. You're on national television being yelled at. So, I mean, that's the, I mean, part of the job. Release the tape, Jordan. Release, release the tape. He's retired. Never shown anybody that tape. Not one single person to this day. Um, yeah, I mean, it, like it happens. I mean, it happens multiple times a year. When you ask tough questions, you're gonna get your people aren't gonna be always happy with it. When you break news, people aren't gonna be happy with it necessarily all the time, and they're they're gonna respond accordingly. So, I mean, it's a it's a long, it's honestly a long list. I don't know you, Jeff. I mean, gosh, I have so many. I've had and and look, look I'm a lot not, of I'm these are to protect people too. I don't want to like you know like. Well, I don't really care that much. Um, I mean. <laughs> I, I could probably have a whole podcast of this because I've just gotten myself in hot water at times or, or just made people angry just the way I have opinions and stuff like that. Um, I don't have, I feel like a lot of times well, I used to work at USA Today and Nate Ryan was my coworker and we could say like the same thing, um, even write similar things, but he had tact in the way uh-huh. he said uh-huh. it and wrote it and like people didn't get mad at him. And I was like, I just made the same point, but people are furious at me for saying this or whatever. Um, but I don't have that tact or that, um, I, I don't know. Anyway, I, the one thing that comes to mind, I guess, um, and this isn't probably the worst one, but it just pops into my head. Brian France at Chicagoland did a press conference and he announced that he was adding Jeff Gordon to the chase as the 13th driver. And I went ballistic about this on Twitter. Um, I'm shocked. And, yeah, I was very I'm upset. Shocked. I'm still I'm upset stunned. about this, but you had strong opinions on social media. Um, I was very angrily tweeting and, uh, afterwards, immediately after the press conference was over, um, a NASCAR PR person came up to me and was yelling at me in, in the media center about this. Um, uh, were you there for this? I was there. Yeah. Um, anyway, so he was like trying to like, you know, what, what, what was my problem? Why, why was I being like this? And I was like, cause it's a joke. And he looked at me in front of everybody. He goes, you're a joke or whatever. Um, but we, we sense made up and he's, he's a really good guy. Actually, he doesn't work for NASCAR anymore, but, um, anyway, uh, that was one moment cause it was in front of everybody. And, um, there was, there was a lot of, there was a lot of tempers running high that, that day for sure. But anyway, it is. uh, this, this is a somewhat similar question, so we combine them. Ryan Nisbet and Reginald P. were asking about drivers on the hot seat. Uh, Ryan wanted to know about Suarez. Reginald P. wanted to know about Burton. So we just thought we'd talk about who's on a bigger hot seat going into next year, Suarez or Burton or, or someone else, Jordan. 
Yeah, I mean, if you're going to make a list of the guys on the most pressure going into next year, both of those guys would probably be in the top three, maybe the top two. Um, we've talked about Suarez a lot, but you know he didn't make the playoffs this year, didn't win a race. His teammate won two races, made the playoffs, um, led the point standings for a good amount, you know, for early part of the season. Um, the performance gap between those two is significant. And you look at the fact that, Trackhouse is adding a Zane Smith at some point. You know, they signed him. They're going to expand a third car potentially. They've got SVG under contract as well. Like, that's a lot of drivers for not a lot of seats. And so you start doing the numbers. You look at, like, what's going to happen here. Um, it, it's really easy to say Suarez needs to produce. Now, if he goes out and wins races and is a factor again, I think this resolves itself. It's not a problem. But if he has another year where he doesn't win a race, misses the playoffs, I think it's fair to say, like, Trackhouse is probably going to look at this situation and go, what, what is the benefit of keeping him? We've got Zane Smith. We've got SVG. Like, do we have to move in a different direction? So that's why he's under the pressure to perform. Burton, absolutely. I mean, he's basically a fourth Penske car, right? And we knew going in that this was going to be a learning curve and they were going to give him a lot of leeway. That's fine. There was glimpses last year of improved performance at times. They made a crew chief change late. They paired Jeremy Bullins with him. A good veteran there, crew chief with a young driver. Um, but you got to do something in year three. You got to do something in year three because your teammates have won the last two championships. Austin Sindrick had a disappointing sophomore year. That's fair. But he's also, I think he's got the bona fides to say, like, he can. I, I, I'm confident that I think Austin Sindrick is going to reverse course and be okay. Um, and the fact is, is that the guy that Harrison Burton replaced, um, Matty D., um, didn't make the playoffs in that race car um, one year. And so you're kind of running out of excuses a little bit. So, yeah, I think both those guys are under pressure. Some other guys quickly on my list, um, Todd Gilliland, um, he, he did a really good job last year, took a big step, but you got to continue to do that. You got to continue to shake that. You got to minimize that gap between you and Michael McDowell. Um, continue to show people that you deserve this ride. I like Todd. I think he's in a good spot. I think he will. Um, this name may seem a little weird, but Austin Dillon had a horrible, horrible 2023 season. Obviously, you're the you're the grandson of the team owner, you know. But like, you have another year like this, um, and your teammates win in three races and is you know a factor throughout the course of the year. That that's going to put a lot of pressure on you to perform. So that's why. And then this isn't a a, a team or a, a driver per se, but it's just a team. It's Stuart Haas Racing for all the reasons we've talked about so many times. Um, they lose Harvick. Um, you lose Eric Almarola. There's a lot of uncertainty surrounding that organization. Um, they really, really need a big year. Uh, it's not even a big year. They just need some success on the racetrack. So that's, that's on my list. Yeah, I mean, I think you make great points there. Um, to me, I would put Burton above probably all those guys sure. um, just because, like, you can't really have another year like this or like the last two yeah. and – expect to reasonably keep your job in the cup series. I feel like Suarez, yes, he's not running as well as his teammate, but he's also not like way off. And I also wonder like, and Pitbull, like, I don't think he's has any sort of ownership decisions. He's not, he's, you know, they, they've now they referred to him or as like sort of partner or ambassador, you know, at first it was like, Oh, he's co-owning the team. I don't, I don't think he is a co-owner necessarily. Um, but he's obviously important to track house in terms of like the ambassador. Um, you know, he named his new album track house. He's very enthusiastic about it. What does that do for Pitbull's participation 
and interest in track house. If you remove the only Hispanic driver, um, and you're suddenly like, Oh yeah, by the way, he's gone. I mean, I don't know if that's going to go over very well. I think the sponsors sure. also like Suarez. So I think he would have a little bit more leeway. Um, so yeah, I, I, I think Burton is probably uh, on the hot seat there. Yeah. Fair. Dan M says out of all the cup drivers, who would be the best at your job? And conversely, out of the media pool, who would make the best cup driver? Does anyone come to mind uh, for this one, Jordan? I mean, I think Denny Hamlin or Ryan Blaney could do our job really well. Both those guys are very personable. They ask good questions. Denny is not afraid to ask tough questions and not to give an opinion. I think Denny could do our job. I, I think both those guys step on this side and do it very well. Um, I've driven with you before. You don't use a blinker, and you can be aggressive at times, so I think you'd be a great cup driver. Yeah. Um, I think in terms of the, the drivers that could do the job, I mean, what is the job now? Right? Like, I think it's all, it's all changed because when I first got into it, it was just writing. Then it sort of becomes, okay, can you write and maybe talk on the radio? And then that turns into podcasting. Then it turns into like videos, um, you know, whether it's YouTube or on air and now you sort of have to do it all right. Social media and all that stuff. So, um, obviously you know, I, I think Hamlin would be a great media member. He already is a media member in some ways, right? I mean, his podcast is great. It's it's must listen, and he's always going to express opinions and not be shy about that. Um, and, I, and I think Logano, Joey Logano, is super oh, polished. Yeah, for that's, a, that's the that's I missed him. That's a great that's a great inclusion. A media standpoint, he already does the hour every week on Sirius. Um, he's great in front of the camera. He knows he's well spoken. Um, you know, now is he going to express controversial opinions? Probably not because a lot of times he's more like, Hey, that stuff needs to be behind closed doors, you know, in terms of being a NASCAR driver. But if he was a media member, maybe it's different. You know, I, I don't know. We'll, we'll see how Harvick does with that. It was interesting to see Harvick on Twitter. Uh, he seems to be more active in the last week and talking about, Oh, I think those Toyota new noses can, are going to push better at super speedways and stuff, expressing that kind of opinion analysis that we didn't see. So that'll, that'll be interesting. Um, I think Zach Sterniolo uh, is, you know, he seems to be pretty fast. Uh, he goes go-karting a lot. He's, he's done a little bit of racing. Um, he could probably be, uh, I mean, I, I don't know. It'd be a long way to get to a cup driver, but, um, he seems competitive in, in some of the little racing that I've, I've seen him do. Huh. Ryan G says huge Corey LaJoy here fan, uh, huge Corey LaJoy fan here. What is Corey's ceiling? Could he possibly win a race or two with Spire over the next two or three seasons, then get an offer from a championship contending team? Or if the growth continues, does he just ride out with Spire? I think like, this is one of the ones, the classic situations where, you know, somebody can only go as fast as, the, as their car and their team. Spire has improved incrementally. LaJoy has then therefore improved incrementally. And he took care of his stuff this year. Obviously, he had no DNFs. Um, and I think it seems from everything we can tell that Spire is going to continue to invest and grow um, they're only get they're they're on an upward trajectory. So LaJoy is going to appear to be on an upward trajectory as well. Um, I don't think we've, we know what his ceiling is yet. I think it's as, as good as that team wants to be. Um, and then if the team gets that much better, why, what's the, what's, what are you jumping for? Right? Like there was talk going into the season of, you know, could LaJoy be sort of a candidate, you know, for one of the SHR rides or something. Ultimately, I think, his season, his situation at Spire now is better than you what you would get if you jumped to SHR, for instance. So, 
Um, I think, I think as the car goes, as, as Christopher Bell has said on our podcast, you know, the car is what makes you look fast and, and look good. And so, uh, if, if Spire continues to get better, LaJoy will too. Yeah. I mean, I agree with everything you said. The only thing I would add is to me, if I was looking for like a comparable, maybe a Michael McDowell, a veteran who takes care of his equipment, does a really good job and who, when is given good, good cars, like goes out there and gets good results, solid results. And can win you races occasionally and our points, you know, put you in a spot where, you know, maybe you can get a playoff spot on points. Um, I, I think that's the, the comparable to them. And I, you know, it, it, but a lot of it's going to depend on Spire. Spire's got to do what front row has done, which is continue to build and grow and get better and better. If they can do that, then yes, I, I think Corey could win at the cup level. And he's almost had, he almost has it. He's really good in the super speedway races. Nate Doms says, what do you miss most from the NASCAR heydays? of the mid two thousands and why, Oh man, I could, this is you. Cause I, I wasn't around. Then. I mean, I can give you it from a, an outsider's perspective, but you were, you lived it, man. You tell me, man, I'm so glad that I got to, my first race was 2004. So I got to, it was right in the prime of everything. I feel like, um, and I, I really got to live that for a few years there before it all went downhill, but man, the money was flowing. Um, even in, in the media, we would stay at, I mean, we would stay at these nice, crazy, good hotels uh, every week. That's that's not what I miss the most. The, the 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 thing I miss the most is just how big of a deal everything felt yeah. at the time. I mean, Richmond. You would have to get if you didn't get there seven hours before green flag, you were in a massive traffic jam for an hour. I mean, it was just backed up. You could try all the back ways you wanted to. Every back way was taken up. Um, you know, be for, for a night race on a Saturday night. If you, if you weren't there by noon, you're sitting in an hour of traffic at least, you know? And it was just like, it just felt like every week, like the stands were packed. I mean, there was energy. It was just huge, huge crowds. I mean, the, the, back then I was doing like the gluckometer where I would rate the, I would bring a noise meter, you know, and, and rate the, the crowd noise, um, for, you know, because it was so loud. I mean, the, the reality, it just felt everybody was so into it. Um, I mean, you know, this was the time of, you know, Jeff Gordon and, um, Dale Jr. And Tony Stewart. And, you know, even Mark Martin was still around. Rusty was in his final years, Dale Jarrett. And, you know, it's just like these big time names and personalities. And it just felt massive. I mean, the Bristol, the Bristol sign stunts they used to do where Bristol was sold out 160,000 people year after year after year. And the whole bowl was just filled and it just felt like you were at something that was, that had tremendous importance and was going to be a big deal. And it was like, maybe not Pocono, but every week for the most part, <laughs> um, you know, hit on Pocono. I mean, that, that was the one where the atmosphere felt a little bit different, but I mean, even Texas back then, I mean, it just felt huge. And I miss, you have some races now where you're like, ah, oh, this, this is like a little bit taste of that, you know, like North Wilkesboro, I thought had that kind of energy and atmosphere this year. But, um, I don't think you can ever, there's never going to be a time when they can fully sort of replicate what that was like, especially with all the, the sponsor money that was into it back then. And just, uh, all the events outside the track that we would get to go to as, as media members and stuff. Eh, was, I could just go on and on, but it was, I'm glad I got to, see a little bit of that before it started falling off because, um, it's hard to explain to somebody now 
about what that was like. I wish I could have experienced it. That would have been awesome. What were you going to say from outside? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I mean, honestly, you summarized it. I mean, it just felt, you know, every race feels like a mega event. Like what you're writing, what you're covering is, you know, there was just a, it was elevated to a higher plane, it felt like. And that, that's from an outsider's perspective, but it seemed like that was the case. Yeah, I mean, even when you think about like the early, the early chase and the early chases and stuff like that, like some of these moments that, now it would be sort of like, oh, or whatever. I think the the amount of interest that got, like think about Matt Kenseth on the sand barrels at Dover. Like that, why, why is that moment? I, I think it, it's because that was such a big, it was so, so everything was magnified back then by the media interest, the fan interest or whatever. You would talk about things for so long and then that sticks in people's memories. You know, now something like, like, Kyle Larson into the sand barrels or whatever at Homestead. Uh, that's not going to be remembered. Like even Kenseth on top of the barrels was, you know what I mean? For whatever reason, yeah. but it's just because everything felt bigger. Like the, the Vickers wreck at Talladega that one year or whatever that he triggered and everybody was so mad. Like all, you know, it's just things like that. Like six. just took out this outsized, just larger than life importance people talk about him for weeks or months or, or whatever. So anyway, um, Isaiah H. This is one I wanted to include in here because this is a question along these lines that I get asked at least once a week. Some, you know, somebody who's an aspiring media member or a young reporter or, or whatever will ask about basically how to get into the industry or, or they are a journalist and they're, they're trying to get, more attention, but it, the answer, my answer is somewhat along, along the same lines every time, every person I talk to. So I just want to get it out there in case anybody is wondering this for themselves. Basically says my current job is factory work. It's hard on my body and mental health. And I'm passionate about writing. I've been looking into writing jobs, preferably remote work. I have no college degree or professional writing experience. I write music and short stories all the time. I want to expand my writing skills. He's, he's 21 wants to find that perfect job how do you get started? You know, um, the, the thing is like, I feel like, and this is, I tell this to everybody, whether it's somebody saying, I want to, you know, how can I get my podcast going or how can I, how can I be in the media center or how, you know, whatever it is you are currently, we're all currently living in the greatest time in human history to be your own content creator. Um, even right before I started like the jeffgluck.com thing with Patreon and all that stuff. I mean, to be able to have my own website, my own podcast, which is what the roots of this were, um, you know, to, to, to social media, all that stuff, right? YouTube, you know, that didn't, that is a relative, those are all relatively recent creations to be able to say, I'm going to start this. I'm going to start this on by myself and do it by myself. Um, you know, if you can, so what, what I would tell people is you're, you're controlling your own destiny that the model of, okay, let me work my way up and, and start the grind. And then hopefully somebody will hire me. That's perfectly valid. And there's plenty of people trying to do that, but the amount of jobs, NASCAR full-time media jobs that somebody's going to hire you for, uh, it's going to take years and years and years and years and years of grind and sacrifice 
to get to that point. And again, there's people doing it. They're getting those jobs. It is the, the doors are still opening. You know, it's not a dead beat. Um, but it's, it's going to take a long time. Um, so what I would say is start your own thing and hopefully make it successful. I, I talk about Eric Estep with what he's done with YouTube now over 200,000 subscribers on YouTube. Did anybody hire Eric Estep, you know, to start and just say, Hey, um, here's, here's a big YouTube channel. Why don't you take it over and do your own thing? No, he built it from the ground up by himself and now has can make a living off what he's been able to do. Um, you could do that in the YouTube space. You could do that in the podcast space. Yes, there's a lot of podcasts, but if you're able to develop a following, look, our, our own podcast here was, I mean, four or five years of pretty low, stable numbers. And then three years ago, it just started gaining traction and got, it got more and more listeners. I'm sure a lot of you have started listening in the last few years where you didn't listen, you know, six, seven years ago, whatever it was when I started it. Right. So you've, you've got to build it up, but you can do it yourself. And, and the same thing for, for writing, for social media, you've, it, it helps to find your own niche, right? Like, um, can, can you be the, you know, I, I think of like last car on Brock, right? He, his little niche is to, and he's done a good job on, on, and you know, he's done books and other things like that also on like the under covered personalities of sport, but his thing is, okay, I'm going to write about the last place person and cover the story. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, but he found something that nobody else is talking about. And then, so that helps you gain traction in what you're doing. So for Isaiah or anybody else out there, what, what is an area of the sport that you feel like is undercovered? Um, is it, is it esports? Is it the truck series? I mean, the, you, you know, back in the day, um, Charlie crawl, uh, who's now doing Arca stuff. He used to do, you know, a lot of truck series stuff before he was the orange cone even, right? Like, you know, who, who is solely dedicated to the truck series now? Like, I, I don't know. Is there anybody that's only doing trucks where I know that they are the authority for trucks. They are going to cover the entire garage. I think there's an opportunity at places like that to do stuff like that. Um, or maybe it's sort of the underfunded, you know, sort of Xfinity teams, you know, you just talk about those people. There's the temptation is I want to be writing about the top guys. I want to be writing about, well, then you're doing what everybody else is doing and that's fine. You could get to that point, but I feel like try to find the things in NASCAR that are not being reported as widely. Um, maybe it's, you're only writing about the prospects, uh, the, the cup prospects and you're continually tracking them. Okay. Here's what this cup prospect did in late models this week or whatever. And you're recapping that, whether it's YouTube, whatever it is. So, um, anyway, those are, those, that's my little rant on that, but you can, you can control your own destiny. It's not going to be easy to, to build an audience or attract an audience. But, um, if you, you guys are out there, it's going to be a lot easier to do it yourself. I would say than to have NBC suddenly come to you and say, Hey, do you want to work for NBC? Like, I know you don't have any experience, but you know, um, or, or the athletic or whatever. So go for it. That's what, that's what I say. It's a good summarization. I agree with everything you said there. Find your niche, work hard. Don't ever let anyone tell you that you can't do it. Jack K says, what tools do you use for your organization work productivity? Um, 
do you, you know, Jordan, you, you're, you're always balancing story ideas. You're doing all sorts of stuff. What, what are, do you have anything that you are passionate about in, in this category? I mean, I want to hear your list first. I'm kind of put together my list. I mean, I, I don't feel like I, I mean, I use my laptop. I mean, obviously my laptop, I'm phone. I'm like, I, I, I have actually started writing on my phone this past year a lot, like stories, not necessarily features and things, but um, some shorter things or breaking news stories. Um, because of technology, you can open Google Docs on my phone. And I, I have found that writing on my phone is often sometimes easier than actually writing on a keyboard. Now, my keyboard is also broken, so that may be a part of it. <laughs> um, but, and for example, I don't like flying on planes. Like, I'm a very, very nervous flyer. And so it's really hard for me to get into a spot on a plane where I feel comfortable to write. And then obviously you got to take out your laptop and you don't got a lot of room and, you know, things like that. It's really hard for me to get into a spot where I can write on my computer comfortably and efficiently. However, I have learned that writing on my phone is actually something I can do on a plane very, very well. And it's a good distraction on my phone. And it's just, it's easy to do. I don't need a lot of room. I can pound it out. Um, So, you know, Google Docs, you know, Google Sheets, that kind of thing is something I use a lot. Um, For story ideas, I use Google Sheets. I keep a track of everything going on. If story ideas, like I've already, I've have, I have a story list that I put together years ago, and there's still stories on there that I haven't done that I want to do that I'll carry over to 2024. And so that, um, yeah, I mean that's the thing that comes to top of mind. Otter is another thing for transcription purposes. Um, we use like you know it records audio, not 100. percent It doesn't always get things right, and you still got to go through it and, and quadruple check and make sure everything is accurate. But it does save a lot of time in terms of having to actually transcribe something from beginning to end on your own. So that is immediately what comes to mind, but I'm sure you've got other ones too that I, I probably use as well. I'm, Otter is brilliant. Um, man, I mean, I, I'll, I'll pull it up here for those watching on YouTube, but I, I people ask me even in the media center all the time, what is that app you're using? Yeah, because oh, all the time. We, we record on it, you, you record the interviews on it and it's live transcribing what you're saying right now. So, um, you know, it's, it's backwards for people watching on YouTube, but it's, it, it basically, like you said, it doesn't give you an exact transcript, but it gives you enough of a transcript where you can go back and find the clip, you know, the quote you might be looking for. Um, really helpful. This is still sort of emerging technology, uh, relatively new within the last couple of years. That um, it's gotten a lot better. These transcription services. There's there's a few of them out there. Trent, I think, is another one. I, I like Otter, yep. um, and it's free. Um, unless you start uploading files and stuff, uh, there's like a minute limit, but, uh, it's pretty, pretty good. If you, if anybody needs transcription type stuff, the one thing that I'm really passionate about, um, in terms of organization or productivity is called Todoist. Um, it's an app and I'm sure there's a lot of to do apps and you know, like I've had other apps that's, you know, a to do list or whatever, but, uh, a, a couple years ago, um, Joey Denowitz, who used to work for Spire and now works for NASCAR. I was following him on social media and he would always have like all, he was just so organized. He would post about his organization. Um, and I was just like, man, like, I wish, how do you, how do you get to that level of organization in your life where like, I I need that. Like I need to have this laid out what, what I need to do today, what I need to do tomorrow or coming up or whatever long term. Um, and so I'd message him like, what do you, what's your secret? And he'd said, you know, try Todoist. And it's not just 
a to-do list app because there's a lot of things you can do. I, I recommend if you maybe watch some YouTube videos on sort of the features of it and how to really make it work for you. But like you could say, you could do everything from like, okay, I have an interview tomorrow at 10 a.m. and put that in there and then it won't show on your to-do list until the next day. Or you could say, hey, I need to, um, I need to take the recycling out every other Monday and you put it in there and then and then it, it reminds you like Sunday night or something, right? You could tell it when to do it. So every Sunday night pops up when you're looking at your list. Oh, take recycling out. Oh, that's right. Recycling's tomorrow or whatever, right? Like all these different things. Um, you can schedule long-term. You could schedule different parts of projects. It's really helped me, you know, get my thoughts clearer, things like that. So um, Todoist, the app, uh, I really like. I don't know if Android people like you even have that app, but. It's definitely on it iPhone. Make it so. sound like people on Android like don't have access to the same number of. I, I can get that app. Like it's it's your bias against Android is is honestly it's a little annoying and it's 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 just it's ridiculous. Hey, it's, I don't know what, what is the problem <laughs> and the whole thing about oh it's a different color bubble oh my god oh stop. I don't think you realize the impact of ruining group text didn't ruin anything. Okay. I, if, if multi, if somebody messages, sometimes people will message you and I at the same time about mm-hmm. our podcast or something. Right. And I can't do the, we can't do the reactions like on iPhone, you know, you can do the thumbs up or the I get you reactions. Yeah. But it, it comes across as like, so-and-so reacted with ha ha. It doesn't like actually show it. Second of all, you can't name the group text. Yes, you can. No, not on, not well. Maybe you can, but not on our end. If it's, there's an Android user in your group text, it you sounds can't. like a, it sounds like an, an Apple problem. Then honestly, you have a better product because I can do it on my end. So what you're saying to me is you have an inefficient product. I also can't see read receipts. So oh, I, 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 can't I turn tell mine off. I turn mine off. I do not well, want. People I have to mine off this. except for oh. like. People like yeah. my wife or my parents too, but oh no, um, definitely. Well, they should definitely keep it off your wife, FYI. Why? I want her to know if I'm. What if I'm driving with the girls and she texts me and I read it, but like I don't respond. At least she sees I read it, so she knows I'm living. Yeah, but then she's gonna be like, "Oh, you you saw the text, Jeff. Why did you not respond to me?" No, you because she'll it. know that I. Yeah, it's, had, had you're opening the, you're opening a door to like you didn't respond quick enough. Oh, please. Like, oh, yeah. Like, thank you for thank you for the relationship advice from happily. I can give you all yeah. sorry. I'm sure that's really that's really good for coming from you. Um. Anyway, so I don't know how we got on this, but uh, I I did see though that Apple is starting to to uh, the the news just came out last week or a couple weeks ago that they're going to improve the Android to Apple texting. So, thank God. Anyway, um, all right, we're down to our final five or so questions here. John from up North, which NASCAR driver in the sports history would you have liked to interview or have a conversation with and why you want to go first? Sure. Uh, mine would be junior Johnson um, because it spans so much of the sport. Like you get the, the, the formation of the sport, the bootlegging days and what that was like in all of the characters back then, the Curtis Turners, the Joe Weatherly's and what they were like. Um, Junior, Junior was also a great driver, right? You know, he won the Daytona 500 um, and what that was like racing back then as a driver. And then the totality of his career, then he ended up going to team ownership. You know, he won championships with 
Kale Yarbrough, first guy to win three straight championships. Daryl Waltrip. He had Bill Elliott drive for him. He tried to get Dale Earnhardt to drive for him. Like you would get such a span of great character stories and what it was like through such a long period of time. I, I think that to me is this it's the slam dunk answer. I mean, two come to mind. Obviously, it would have been nice to I never got to interview Dale Sr. Um my first race was in 2004, so I, I just kind of missed that. I think it would have been great to, to interview him. Um, I don't know how much he would have given, you know, like I don't, it seemed like, you know, the media and Dale senior had, you know, sort of a Tony Stewartish relationship at times. Although I, I ended up in Tony's later years. I really got along with Tony, uh, really well. I had a lot of fun covering him. Uh, first part of that wasn't so good for me, but, um, you know, Dale senior probably would have been the same way, uh, where, you know, probably takes a while to earn his respect, but maybe once you do, you get some good stuff or have a good relationship. Um, but I really would have liked to interview Tim Richmond. I mean, I, that would have been an absolute, I mean, talk about, think about like sort of the stories that we do for the athletic now where, you know, whether it's like, you know, tagging along with a driver somewhere or something like that, like think about like a night with Tim, a night out with Tim Richmond the night before the Daytona 500 or something like that. Right. Like what is Tim Richmond doing? You're going to the bars. Are you going to a strip club or something? I mean, what, what a story. I mean, if he would like let you tag along and just be like witness all the, the Tim Richmond. I don't know if you could have handled writing a story like that though. That's like might've been out of your comfort zone. I could have written. I wouldn't have to partake in the party or whatever. You've been like your eye, you've been at the bar and your eyes have been shut. Like I can't look at this. This is not good. I'm married. Oh, come on. I, I could, I could document it for a story. I'm not that much of a prude, but, um, I think my wife would understand that. Like, like what? Please, I can't, can I please be in the room when you explain this to her? I, all right. Anyway, um, I think Tim Richmond would have been, I mean, such a character. I would have loved to, I mean, just any, any sort of interview. I mean, what would he have said? I mean, that would have been, Think about 12 questions with Tim Richmond, the answers you would have gotten. That would have been awesome. Daniel Rankin, will we ever see another NASCAR IndyCar weekend collaboration? And what is the possibility of a NASCAR F1 collaboration? I'll let you answer this one. I mean, I would never say never. Um, I mean, it, it's got to be at the right track. That's the challenge. Um, I, I mean, Indianapolis was just so perfect for it. You look at this cup schedule now. Um, you could maybe do it at Texas. You could maybe do it at Watkins Glen, maybe a Pocono. Um, but there just doesn't seem like a tailor-made event or, or track for it right now, but never say never. I know, I know it, it sounds like a lot of people were happy with it and it was a success. So yeah, I think you'll see it at some point down the road. I just, it, it was, why not? There does, see, especially with Roger Penske now owning IndyCar, there's just a lot of, you know, working together kind of thing. The NASCAR F1, I just never say never. And, you, I mean, we've seen so many things happen in NASCAR last few years that you never thought were going to happen, going back to North Wilkesboro, for example. But I look at this, I just – I don't think it makes sense. I, I don't think it makes sense logistically. Like, Formula One races in Las Vegas, well, the NASCAR season's over by then, and NASCAR's not going to have its last race of the season um, in Las Vegas be a, a – you know, and accompany a Formula One race. It, the championship would get lost and overshadowed. Um, you really can't do it at Coda for the same reasons because Coda's in the fall. So could you do it in Miami in the spring? Yeah, I mean, maybe. But, you know, 
Does that make sense, though? You already raced there already. Like, does having so you never say never, but maybe, maybe Montreal, like if that's, if you're really keen on getting into Montreal and you, you don't, you know, you don't know how to do it. Maybe that's how you, 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 you get there and do make it happen. But it's just, it's hard. And is NASCAR, if you're going to have an F1 NASCAR doubleheader, NASCAR is probably going to have to get second billing in that. Probably. Trying to, I'm trying to, I'm trying to hedge here a little bit. I don't, I don't I'm trying to not to make any declarative statements. You think F one's going to be like, yeah, we'll be a support race to NASCAR. Yeah. I was, I'm trying to hedge here a little bit. I'm trying Come not on. to make any. I've learned not to make declarative statements too much. Um, is NASCAR willing to accept that? Like, do you think they would accept that? I don't think they want anything to do with Formula One. I think they, I don't think they do either. And I, and I don't, I don't think they would be willing to accept second bill status. I mean, unless you run. Unless you say the clash is going to be a postseason event exhibition race now, and we'll run the that's, clash at the Las Vegas Grand Prix and show all these F1 true. fans what it looks like to have real horsepower, you know, loud cars, whatever. Of course, they're you know not real horsepower, but um, you know, loud. I guess the loud noise more than I shouldn't have said horsepower. Um, well, they, they're going to mufflers too, though. So I mean, like, well, you know. yeah, uh, but anyway. no, I mean, you're right. I mean, that that that. You make a great point. That is the one thing where now with the class, the exhibition, could you do an exhibition in L- in, in Las Vegas? Like no points, you know, you just show, right. Hey, like, Hey, check out this. We're going to go there. We're going to have some fun. We're going to put a hell of a show. And if you guys wreck, we wreck cars. We don't care. Like, right. Right. Maybe. But again, I don't, this formula is formula one going to be like, yeah, we want, we want to give this spotlight to NASCAR. And does NASCAR want to go in there and be second, Second bill. I don't know. I, I I have a hard time seeing it. Can I just say something about the mufflers real quick? We didn't get any questions about the mufflers, but it's been a hot topic on social media. I don't excuse the the rant, but this is so freaking stupid. I'm sorry. This whole conversation is so stupid. People are so mad about the mufflers. Oh my gosh, they're reducing the noise. Do you guys realize? Are, have these people not been to a race in the next gen era? Do you realize how freaking loud the cars are now? They are the, the the cars were plenty loud before previous to next gen. They are screamingly painful loud now. I mean, th- th- this is like ear protection doesn't even describe it. I mean, this is this is to put mufflers on it, the, and the mufflers that we've they we've heard so far they've been tested. They're still loud. It's not like F. In, you go to the F one race. We were just there for Las Vegas. Those cars are pretty quiet. You do not need hear earring protection. You do not need hearing protection when an F1 car goes by you. You don't. They're, they're so, they used to be, right? And now they're like, kind of thing, right? And they're like, you're like, oh, that's cool. They go fast, but they don't make the same noise. They don't scream. NASCAR cup cars are freaking loud to the point where it's, it's not good. So if you have mufflers on the cars, which you'll still probably need hearing protection. When they tried them at the clash, it was still like, ah, I could use some hearing protection. My ears are still going to be ringing here. Um, put the mufflers on your, it's not that big of a deal. My goodness. Like, but what they are now, they are, they're way too loud. So, um, it's not going to affect anybody's experience to have them a little bit quieter. I, I just, sorry. Like I, I, this, this whole people getting so bent out of shape about the mufflers, I'm like, what, why, why they're still freaking loud cars. Don't worry about it. There's not, they're not going to make them quiet all of a sudden. It's not, again, it's not going to be like, they're not even going to be like F1. 
Oh, anyway, that wasn't one of the questions, but it was great. We got a Jeff Gluck rant in there too. Not not your best, but it was pretty good. Okay, Lendon Little, uh, who who asked earlier about the the media stuff. We want another question because we love talking about the media type of this. If you don't like these questions, sorry, this podcast probably had too many of them. But um, I'm fascinated by this kind of stuff. I could talk to other media people about this all day because I don't know what they would say. But they say I'm curious about your approach. Uh, to, to speaking to drivers as an interviewer, is there a strategy you use in wording your questions in such a way to receive the most information out of a driver? And how do you know what to, what not to ask drivers? Do you want to go first? Or you want me to go first? You go first. I'm writing down my, I'm making, I'm making some notes here. Okay. Yes. This is absolutely one of the most important, crucial aspects in, in my opinion to having a successful interview, whether it's a one-on-one interview or a group interview or whatever. If you, you've got to listen to what drivers are saying, Chase Elliott is the perfect example of this. He says things repeatedly. And a lot of times people don't pick up on what he says. And when he gets asked that again for the, you know, zillionth week in a row, or it's a question, he, he basically shuts down. He doesn't want to talk about it because he's already said it. You can tell he gets visibly annoyed. Some of the things he keeps coming back to, you know, this year was a perfect example of he never thought he could make it on points. So every time somebody would ask him about making it on points, he sort of would go to his stock answer and and his sort his whole mood and stuff would change. So he's now annoyed, he's irritated, he wants the whole media session, no matter what's next, he pretty much wants it to be over. Because he's he's here you've asked something again, you know, and, and so when you ask him a question about that, it's better to acknowledge, Hey, I know you've said this over and over repeatedly and then ask a different way, something related to that. Maybe you could still sort of ask that question, but to, it's just not going to go over well. Another thing that Chase Elliott says all the time, if you listen, he talks about the cars getting so close that someday, um, they're going to be all way too close and it's going to affect the racing. So whenever he gets asked about the racing, things like that, he kind of goes back to that. You, you could see he goes, well, like I've said, you know, and, and anytime you get, you know, it's like when you go to a family Thanksgiving, Jordan, back in the day, and your one relative would say, oh, tell me about your, your job. I hear you like your job. And you'd say, okay, um, well, what, what just happened? Damn. You know, lightning? That was lightning and a heavy uh, thunderstrike. I just saw a flash on your screen. Yeah, that was lightning, and then it's just like that was a huge thunderbolt. Wow! Damn, that's crazy. That was December uh, in North Carolina, huh? Wow, it's crazy. Um, are you sure right. somebody down the street didn't like blow up their house or something? Uh, not that I see. I mean, I'll let you know if I hear any sirens. Okay. I mean, you were a potential drive-by shooting victim <laughs> in the off season a couple years ago, so. Never know with you. It's, you know, you live the life I lead, Jeff, the bad boy life. Yeah. Anyway, uh, what I was saying is it's very important in, in my opinion to listen to what people are saying, to understand how they want to be asked. Kyle Bush wants to be asked questions differently than William Byron needs to. So if you want to have a productive interview with Kyle Bush, you need to come ready for the right kind of question, the right way to ask him how he wants to be asked because we're all human. We're all different and we respond to things differently. And 
you're going to have more success getting something out of somebody if you go to their terms, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't disagree with that at all. I would just add, I agree with everything you said. Um, don't ask yes or no questions. Like, it really doesn't. Largely, asking a yes no question does nothing. Like, you know, ask something that allows them to elaborate, to explain. Sometimes, yes, there's a question that is a yes, no, but largely, you know, ask something more open-ended. Um, I, I'm not, don't be afraid to write your questions out, you know, like look, read them out, make sure, make sure it sounds good. Make them tight. Don't ask long winded questions that are like rambling. And you, it's like, what, what, what did you say? Like you, you had a really good point at the beginning, but it got lost because you kept talking and like, you can see the person is looking at you going like, I, I'm, this is a lot. Um, if you have to ask multiple questions, don't ask them like boom, boom, boom. Ask one question, let them respond, then ask the second question because now, and I, and I was taught this in journalism school is like most people will gravitate towards, if you give people like two or three questions at a time, they're going to gravitate towards the question that they, the think last is, question, the last question, and they the forget the other one are the easiest one. Oh, if that's you ask, true too. Yeah, that's true. You know, so like they're going to pick and choose what they want to answer and you're, you know, and so, and if you do have a tough question, you have to ask, um, don't necessarily have to lead with it. And I'm guilty of this at times. And I've learned, like I, <laughs> I used to be so bad with this. I was, I was bad. Like, no, I mean, a hundred percent I've learned like, you, you know, but that was part of like, I want to, you know, I want to establish myself. And, you know, it's like you learn and you learn, it's like a rookie young driver, like trying to, you know, make it's their... like, it's like, you're trying to make the winning move on the first lap of a race. Yeah. And then you and piss so... off all the veterans yeah. and it's, you know, and it's, and I, and I learned and, but, and sometimes you have to, because you, you don't have a scenario like you, you don't have a scenario where you can like lead up to it, but if you can lead up to that question, kind of, yeah, I've too, I've, I've been there. I've been there. Yeah, like, and sometimes you can't and like, admittedly you, you, you're in a tight spot. Things are happening. It's a post-race scenario, whatever. Like you only get one question and you're going to have to go for it and that's fine. But if you can lead up to it, soften them up a little bit, kind of build up to it, maybe open up the door of like. Hey, they, you kind of talked about this and then you can go to it and segue. And, and then also like, don't take it personal. Somebody gets pissed off. Like there it's, this is what it is. If you want to ask questions, you're going to end up inevitably asking something that they don't want to answer and they don't like, and they're going to get mad. They're probably going to get mad at you. Don't, don't worry about it. Like it's okay. You know, that's, well, I will say though, that this is a, this is a more sort of insular beat, a tight knit knit beat with this sport. Um, you can't you can't just go around making everybody mad and expect to have success on this beat because your reputation will go south quickly. People will talk. That that happened to me early in my career. People didn't like how I did things, and they would talk to other drivers. And then other drivers would not be as nice to me uh, because I had pissed off their friend or whatever, and word had gotten around. So um, you know, it's not the New York Yankees beat where you just can let the tough questions fly. You've got to sort of pick your spots mm -hmm. in that regard. But um, also the other big thing I think I would say is ask a question. Like, don't, don't say talk about blah, 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 oh, blah, blah. I hate talk about like, that's probably the worst. One of the worst journalism sins is yeah. to just say, to just, to not ask a question, just to basically say, fill up my recorder for me. Like in a demand, like at least ask a question. Um, when you're, when you're talking and be, maybe I'm wrong here, but like be respectful, be, you always be respectful of anyone 
like in general life, when you're talking to someone, they're giving you your time, be respectful, but don't put them on a pedestal, right? Like, like a pet peeve of mine is when Rick Hendrick is in the press conference, people call him Mr. Mr. Yeah. Why is he Mr.? Why? why? He's not like, he's Rick to me. Like I'm Jordan. He's Rick. Like we're not, he's not my boss. He's not, you know, like I'm, I'm respectful of course. And he's going to be respectful of me, but like, it's not Mr. Um, you know, coach, you know, I, coach will, I do say coach. I, I don't like, and I hear this a lot in, in this, maybe this is more of a sports, like college football thing or whatever. I hear a lot of silent reporters always say coach, coach. So-and-so like I say coach, because I think that, you know, I came up like covering high school sports and that was how you talk to the coaches. But you, I didn't like it. I don't like it when you cover high school sports. Like he's not my coach. He's like, he doesn't call me reporter Jordan. I, I get that. I get that. I don't know. I, I think it's, yeah, I could see that. And so know. like, and, and again, and get with Joe is like, it's a little bit like, it's kind of a, it's almost like a nickname per se, you know? So like, so there's, you know, so it's just, it's a little bit of that. Like, it, like, yes, they're, you be gracious. They're giving your time. You want to be respectful, but don't put them on like a holier thou pedestal and think that like, you know, they, you, you have to kind of kowtow to what they want. It's that, that's not how it works. We're down to our final couple questions here. Um, Karen S who, by the way, Karen S shout out to you. Uh, she's probably the most positive commenter oh. on my stories all year. Same here. Love her. Yeah. She's great. She's always, she always has something nice to say. She'll like read a 12 question. She'll be like the first person to comment on it, comment on it. She'll say something nice. I mean, I don't, don't always read the comments, especially once they start to turn negative and I'm just like, all right, I don't need to see this. Um, or people arguing or whatever, but like a lot of times I'll go and if it's early on my story, I want to see what people are saying yet. Um, and Karen S is always right there. So thank you, Karen, for being so, so positive. She's very, very kind, very appreciative. Um, she says, I've enjoyed the driver's responses to question number 11 on the 12 questions this year. And I've wondered how you and Jordan would answer it. Um, so we can do that now. I I, I was going to propose a podcast where you just, do Jordan's life advice. Maybe we can do that another time from all the uh, 12 questions this year. That would be quite out there, but um, that would take, that would take quite a long time. But anyway, so the question number 11, for those of you who don't listen to 12 questions is what life lessons from a young age stick with you and affect your daily decisions as an adult, Jordan. Uh, never be satisfied. Always want more. Always strive for more. And my mom as a kid, couple things my mom told me one sleep is for the week which i still i take heart wow. to this day um if you're sleeping someone out there is probably not sleeping and they're outworking you and they're gonna get ahead of you and it goes to the second point which she always told me is outwork out hustle out grind wow your mom's hardcore <laughs> my mom was my mom is intense my mom was super my mom was very successful who came she was a single mom raised her up from like bootstraps had nothing handed to her and she kicked everyone else's ass and I have the most respect for her. So that was her motto to me was like, you want to be like me, this is what you do. And so I carry with that with me every day, every minute of every day when I, in my life, in my work. Wow. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Um, uh, daily decisions as an adult. I, I don't know. I mean, just have a goal and work towards it every day. Like, I, you know, I don't know. Everybody's got different things and objectives and I know what mine are. And every day I wake up and it's like, 
what do I have to do today? Like, here's my list and I'm going to, I'm going to work on it. And frankly, you're not going to be successful a lot of the times. Like Friday, Thursday, Friday was a really crappy stretch for me for work. You know, I'm technically on vacation, but I'm working on the story I'm going after. And I thought I freaking had it <laughs> and it fell apart and I'm still working on it. And hopefully I'll get it. But I thought I was going to have it last week and it didn't. And it's frustrating and it's, it's hard not to like be dejected and everything like that. But I know like you push that past and you just like, okay, didn't work last week, but next week maybe I can pop it and, you know, we'll, we'll keep working towards it. I think the one, as I've been asking drivers this all year, the one that keeps coming to mind for me was, um, my dad was always big on, you know, don't burn your bridges. Um, sure. he always told stories a lot. He was in, in business and, um, early part of his career, you know, in sales and stuff. And he tells a story about how like, one time, like, um, somebody called the home phone and like screamed, I think screamed at my mom and like was cursing at my mom and like was horrible to her, like a dissatisfaction with the product or whatever. Um, I need to ask my dad the exact story <laughs> to get the details right. But basically like then my dad turned around and was like very nice to the guy. And my mom was like, why would you, you know, be nice to this person who was so awful. And he's like, because you, you can't burn your bridges and I'm in sales. Like I have to still deal with these people, you know? And I feel like in our job, we're going to come across drivers who can be total jerks, um, or, you know, PR people or, or fans, whatever. Right. Like, but you also never know when you're going to have to need these people for something or deal with them again. Um, so to just burn it all down and, you know, burn your bridges, um, is, is a really bad idea and it's not going to serve you well. Ultimately, it might feel good in the moment to be like, F you, I'm going to come back at you and I'm going to get revenge and I'm going to tell you what I think. But it's, this is really all, I mean, most, maybe not all businesses, but all, most professions are come down to relationships in some manner or another. So this is definitely a relationship business, the one we're in. And, uh, if you torch some of those relationships, um, and to the point of no return, it's just not going to, I mean, look, you're, you're not always going to get along with everybody, but for me, like my goal is to at least have a positive working relationship with everybody to not have so many enemies. Sometimes people do get mad and that's part of the game and it could take a few years for it to come back around. Uh, for people to give you another chance, so to speak. Um, or, you know, but, but if you stick with it, I mean, you can get that, that back, but, um, yeah. So just don't burn your bridges, I think is, is something that's really important. Um, anyway, Ramon Carada, two part question from Ramon, our friend from Puerto Rico he says, what do you think of an in-season tournament in NASCAR? Uh, which we just saw conclude in the NBA. Um, and then what is your go-to drink when races become boring and nothing was really happening action-wise? May I suggest a mojito with rums from Puerto Rico? Ramon says that because at Phoenix, he brought us each uh, some a little bottle of rum from Puerto Rico, uh, where he is a university professor. And we were supposed to drink it on the season-ending 
the regular season ending or the playoff ending podcast, whatever it, at Phoenix, we forgot to bring them out there to our interview with Ryan Blaney. Then the next week we forgot. Then in Vegas, I forgot it in my hotel room. So sorry, Ramon has taken us this long, but, uh, I now have a, a toast for you with some, he, he told me to put it, uh, in, uh, some club soda and, uh, stir and enjoy with some ice. My ice is mostly melted since I did this before the podcast, but <laughs> cheers, sure. Jordan. Anyway, <sighs> mm, thank you, Ramon. Uh, <laughs> but always, I, always a fan of listeners sending us alcohol. Just FYI. By the way, we don't, we don't, there is no drink, go to drink when race become boring. Cause we still have to pay attention and work. So we can't drink. drink on race days. Yeah, we can't drink. Um, anyway, we did crack beers with Ryan Blaney. Yeah, After. we were yeah, we were yeah, done was, working, but largely we don't drink. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, about an in-season tournament in NASCAR, um, I I I like Denny Hamlin's bracket challenge. I don't see the, what, that was great. why why they that can't do idea. that. That that yeah, was what they should I, I was, do. That was a fantastic idea. I, I love that too. Um, I'm gonna give this credit to Bob Pockers because we I was having a conversation with Bob this week about some things, and he was like. What about like a team competition in the summer with like on the stream, you know, one of the streaming service races um, where you divide, like you, you got to worry about the logistics, but like you take two cars from a team and they have to work together. And it's basically like a team championship over like five or six, right? Why do you have that face? I don't know. Why do you hate? Why? A team championship? Yeah. Well, how are you going to do that? You're going to exclude two members of, you could divide them up. You could take Hendrick and be like, "Here's Hendrick one team. Here's Hendrick two team." What about a three car team? You take you you pick and choose your two cars. But you're you know. So like, sorry, Austin Cindric, you're. Well, no, I mean Penske would be four because you I would throw Harrison Burton in there. You know, you can you 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 know a little bit of leeway. I could be down for a team challenge if you mixed up all the teams and you suddenly had like Hamlin and Larson working together or something. Serious? I just, I think, I do think there's an opportunity with in the middle of the summer to do something, whether it is the bracket challenge, because I think that's a great idea and really get a push behind it. Um, but why not do something different though? We, we, we talk all the time about drivers and drivers. Like why not try to figure out a different way to, to incorporate something else and not just to be about the drivers. Cause you've already got the championship standings. You've already, you know, like let's, let's do something different. Cause the whole sport's or, about the drivers. Why does it always have to be, why does it always have to be? What about what? Well, I was going to say too, the other idea I had is like, you know, you've seen this, I think Orchid does this and like you take and and, and IndyCar kind of did something like this a few years ago too. They had like the Mario Andretti trophy or the AJ Foy trophy. Maybe you have like all of the road course races. Like, who's the champion of the the five or six road course races? Are super just things like that, you know? Like, hey, there's six super speedway races. Here's the guy who did the best. I, I don't know, like, just something of that nature. Are you you take a race like Yerka does? I think they take a race from kind of every discipline or whatever, and they have like a little mini championship of that, like a road course, a short track, a super speedway, intermediate track. I, I don't know. I, I do think there's flexibility to do something different. I, I like the idea. I like that idea of like having a road course championship, a short track championship, super speedway championship. That'd be fun. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't have to be like some big thing, but it, you could be something yeah, to just, talk about during the races. Oh, and yeah, you know, you get a little trophy, you get some maybe yeah, bonus money. Gosh. Yeah. Like it gives you something to talk about. You're going to New Hampshire in July, like, you know, or whatever, you know, whatever the championship is. I mean, LeBron just, just made a huge deal out of, 
how much he wanted to win $500,000 to which to him, you wouldn't think is that big of a thing, but he was like all about, Oh, I got to get that 500 grand. Yeah. You know, you, you just made NBA players play pretty hard for that. So you could have a driver, you know, I don't know. Yeah. I, I think it's, it's experiment. Don't be afraid to fail. Try something different. Yeah. Well, listen, everybody, we could probably go on and on and on again. We got almost 70 questions or something like that. Um, sorry, we were only able to do 20 of these, but, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I think I'd like to close with just saying, you know, again, I'll raise my glass to all of you. Thank you, you know, for making us, uh, for giving us record setting numbers this year, uh, over, um, over a million downloads before the, the season was even over. Um, just big time numbers for us. Uh, I look back, I have a little thing that they, they had sent us a couple years ago, I think. Um, and it was like your numbers for the season and it was like 400 something thousand, uh, for the season. So we've basically like, I think we've basically like tripled our audience, um, in like a couple years. And before that, and that, and that was even a big number for us at the time. So, you know, I, I'm just really appreciative of you guys. Like, I, I mean, I, it's still sort of like a, we say it all the time and, and it, it comes, it might come across as like faux humble or something at this point, but like, we're like, why do people listen to us? Um, it's very weird sort of imposter syndrome at times. Cause you're like, well, I mean, we're not drivers, you know, we're not spotters. We're not crew members, which are most, that's what most of the other podcasts are that are, they're highly listened to in NASCAR. So for you guys to just give, you know, a couple schmucks who pretend like we know what we're talking about, um, you know, so much of your time, it just is really, we really appreciate it. And I think I, I'm sure Jordan feels the same way, but when, when people come up to us at the track, they're talking about the podcast. I mean, it's, it's crazy. It's so fun to like, Oh, you know, they, they want to talk about whether they agree with me or Jordan or the good race poll or whatever it's going to be. So, or Jordan's quirks, which are so Our much of the state, content on this podcast. State on a 500 outfit, which has been a popular discussion. Can't yep. wait. For Only a couple months away. So, yeah, I mean, listen, like truly, truly, sincerely, uh, can't say it enough. We just appreciate your, your time investment. Um, hopefully some more good things to come in the future. And uh, we'll just keep doing what we're doing. And, you know, if, hopefully, hopefully you guys will still want to be along for the ride. You, you touched on it. Like it feels impo- imposter syndrome is the best way to describe it. Like, I just, I don't feel worthy of all of the accolades that we get and the, the praise. It's just like, it blows my mind that people really enjoy this and that they actually want to hear what we have to say. Um, I love it. I love what we do. I love our listeners. Um, thank you guys. It's been, it's been fun. It's awesome. You, I think you guys as part of the team and, uh, that you guys really enjoy this is just, uh, I can't believe it. I really can't. Very cool. Well, um, this wraps up this year, started this podcast in 2017, basically, uh, January, 2017, Jordan, you were my first guest was I had rotating guests back in the day. So, uh, we've wrapped up another one here. And so, uh, even though, Jordan hates Christmas. I'm sure he would agree that we can wish everybody a Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. Happy holidays. 
and we will uh, we'll talk to you on the other side in January. Um, so stay healthy, everybody. Stay safe. Have a great holidays, and we will talk to you next year on the Teardown. Teardown.